Good morning. Wasn't that great this morning? Who else got healed? Any partial healing? Well, fantastic. I was having a headache coming on and it was just completely gone. So I was talking to someone before the service and they were talking, um, you know, they mentioned they've been talking about the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe they're watching Deanna Jones or something. And um, they're like, oh, we don't really understand that, you know, sort of stuff. And I was in that same position about five years ago. Uh, I don't really understand that stuff. But I, I started to investigate it and, and read it and try and understand it. And I finally got to that place where I don't really found I didn't really need to understand it. So I'm going to explain it to you today, but really you don't need to understand it, okay? The reason is because God is so good and, and his goodness is really good and his goodness is better than you think it is. And that's because the new covenant is better than you think it is. But today I thought I'd start with uh, another interesting Bible fact, as I always like to do, because I'm fast becoming a Bible geek. And I'm sorry, but, you know, these things just make me geek out. So let me be a nerd or a geek for a little while. I wanted to talk about the phrase heaven and earth, because it's um, a lot more than a place or two places. Kirk mentions this a lot in his preaching about uh, how heavens and earth uh, are being restored to each other. You know, the, the nature of heaven and earth is how God is bringing two things together under the rule and reign of his son. So the phrase heaven and earth does not just mean two literal separate places, but it's also a symbol of the relationship between God and man. It's a picture of God's relationship to man, the heaven and the earth. And when the law came under Moses, they created the tent of meeting. And the tent was created to resemble heaven and earth. But also the way in which God was relating to man at that time. The Holy of Holies that held the Ark of the Covenant, and it's the place where God came to sit on the throne of God. It was called the throne of God, uh, and it was decorated to look like heaven. It then had a veil decorated with cherubim or angels to protect the way in. So the Holy of Holies was known um, as heaven. Hebrews 9.3 says it was a shadow of heavenly things. Now next to the Holy of Holies was the holy place. And uh, it was decorated to look like the earth. It had the menorah which represented the sun, and the walls were decorated with palm trees, and there was the table of showbread, all the things, and a dirt floor, and it was all the things that represented earth. And outside of that room was then um, an area called the land of the Gentiles, or commonly referred to as the sea. Now, they had this big bronze laver there where the priests would actually wash themselves before being able to enter into the temple. So the temple had three main sections. There was lots of other little sections that were sort of added. Um, But it was designed to represent the heavens, the earth, and the sea. It was a micro version of the cosmos. But it was also a symbol of the relationship between man and God. The place where heaven and earth met was commonly known as the tabernacle, 
the tent of meeting, or the temple. Okay. So Hebrews 9 says that, yeah, go back there. They were copies of things in heaven. All right. Psalm 79 says, He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever, which in the context of reading, it's referring to the temple. There are many other verses in the Old Testament and even historical documents, um, you know, that it was called heaven and earth. But I'll let you, you know, research that one and uh, Google it. But I think that's pretty cool. And you can ask me later um, if you've got any weird questions. But today, as I said, I want to talk about the new covenant and how much of a better covenant it is. It's much better, much, much better than you even think it is. And I know to some that may sound boring, you know, and, but, and some of you may have heard me talk about this as well. But I feel like if I don't share it, I'm going to explode, you know. <laughs> some people get, you know, some people are passionate about different things in the kingdom of God evangelists are sort of like sitting around saying, what are we doing in here? We need to be out there telling the gospel to people. Why am I sitting in church all the time? You know, and people that minister to the poor, you know, what are we doing? We need more food. We need to show the practical love of Jesus to people, you know, and that's their expression. And we need to be getting more bread runners and things like that. And that's their expression of love. And worship people like, we just need to worship forever. You know, the presence of God is just what changes people. You know, so we need to do more of that sort of stuff. But at the moment, I feel like the Steve Irwin of covenants. <laughs> you know, because I think if we have a good understanding of covenants, we'll have a good understanding of how God feels about us. And I get it that you don't feel as excited as I do, because you're not meant to. But I hope maybe today you just might get a little light bulb moment, okay? Because I was wrestling for, with this for a long time, you know, in my youth. And, and um, five years ago, it started to unravel for me. Because we know Jesus has forgiven our sin, right? And he asks us to preach the good news of the kingdom. There's healing, there's power. But we can operate with those things without really knowing how God feels about us. I'm forgiven and there's no condemnation in Christ. But why do I sometimes feel condemned? Why is that? I know in my head that I'm forgiven. But I don't always feel it. I don't sense the Father's love. Why is that? Why is my, my head can understand it, but my heart can't accept it? Do you know what I mean? This feeling... There's something missing that just connects the dots sometimes. And my thinking was like that. And I felt, well, maybe I still have to do something to get God's forgiveness. Otherwise, I'm not really sure I feel his forgiveness. My head knows it, but how does it translate to my heart? And it's not just a touchy-feely emotional thing. You know, I believe there's a really great balance in reconciling our emotions and knowledge. You see, we know God loves us, but sometimes are we 100% sure? You know, David, David Delaney used to preach a lot about grace. 
And he used to use this picture of a prison cell, you know, and it, it was like, imagine a prison cell around me. And Jesus had come and unlocked the door, but we still chose to live inside the prison cell, even though the door's wide open and we have been given freedom. It's painted white. Even better. And I believe that when we understand the full nature of the new covenant, we understand the full nature of God's heart and it can help join those dots. We have slide three, please. Okay, here we go. I need my little helper today. Okay, uh, I need, where's my little helper? Come on now. I also need four volunteers. One, two, three, four. All right, Ezri, you come over here. Okay, you can stand there, come up here. Just come up here for a moment. Dave, come over here. Maybe stand in front of the table, Isaac. Okay, Dave, you need to stand here. And Bo, I need you to stand here. Can I move this a little bit? All right. So here we have a shopping basket. You're going to get the shopping basket. Okay. Now let's, what we're going to say, this is going to, I won't say it just yet. But you'll get the idea. Covenants are like cling wrap or glad wrap. Let's no brand allegiance intended here. So the new covenant, we have some items that all fit in to the new covenant. So just pick one up and let's see if someone can shout out what it represents. No, all right, we'll start with that one. <laughs> Hold it up high. Anyone? Guess. Cleansing our sin. There you go. Wipe away sin. Next one. Put it in. Turn it on. The light. The light. Power. Great. Next next one. Okay, we got some oil that says Gentile on it. Well, gentle. Okay, so we've got the anointing for the and it's also the new covenant is also for the Gentiles. There you go. So put that in. Alright, next one. Uh, here we go. Fruit of the Spirit, there you go, fruit to the Spirit. It's another part of the new covenant. Up and go. Jesus said, get up and go to all the world. Okay, it's part of the evangelism, it's part of the new covenant. Okay, we've got a badge. What does that resemble? Authority. We have authority in the kingdom. A crown or tiara. Righteousness, we are also kings, you know, seated with seated with Christ. Okay, we have a little Bluetooth speaker. Worship. Worship. Uh, this might be a bit tricky because it, it holds a lot of things. But the Word of God, all His promises are yes and amen. Okay, new covenant stuff. All right. And the cross... Salvation, forgiveness, all those sorts of things. And we have a gift of the Holy Spirit. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are part of the new covenant. Okay, so where's our new covenant? Over here. So the new covenant is like cling wrap. Okay? 
Hmm. I hear you all saying, hmm. You see, all this stuff is the stuff, there's, there's bits missing. There's a whole bunch more stuff that I couldn't find, like Miracle Whip I was looking for in the, you know, Coles don't have it. I only had Dream Whip, you know. But we can have access to all this stuff, but, but we can still access this stuff out of duty, Okay not out of our love relationship with God. So this lens, the glad rap, is the lens of how God relates to us. Okay? This lens is how God sees us through covenants, and this is what I want to explain today. So the first point is God relates to man through the lens of covenants. Now, that's where these guys come in. So in the Bible, there are five main covenants. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus, or the new covenant. Okay, So God talks to Noah and says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Noah, never to destroy the earth again. And he gives him a rainbow. Okay, Now the lens is the glad wrap. So go wrap uh, Noah up. So the glad wrap is symbolizing the covenant relationship. Put it under your arm. Just tuck it under your arm. There we go. So the glad wrap symbolizes the covenant relationship God has with Noah at that time. Okay? He promises Noah that he doesn't have to do anything. Noah, I'm not going to send a flood again. So next time it rains, don't you run back into the ark because Noah's probably traumatically terrified of, you know, he's 40 days. It wasn't just 40 days. It was another 100 or something days in that ark. So Noah, you don't have to run back in the ark because I'm making a promise with you. And Noah doesn't have to do anything to receive that promise because God is relating to him through that lens Okay, now wrap up Abraham. About a thousand years later, God calls Abraham and makes a covenant with Abraham, okay, and says, you're going to have a son and he will be the father of many nations. And once again, Abraham didn't have to do anything but just receive the promise, okay? God is relating to Abraham through that lens of his covenant to him. Now, both these types of covenants, excellent, hold up the signs, Noah and Abraham, okay? (laughs) They are called grant covenants, okay? Basically, God gives his word, his promise, and there's no strings attached, okay? All that they have to do is receive the promise. Now... 400 years later, we get to Moses, and God offers to make, uh, (laughs) sorry, Uh, Israel a nation of priests. A long story short, they get scared and they end up with a different type of covenant, and it puts a distance between God and Moses and the people of Israel. Now, 
the covenant veiled God's heart. Okay, so the, co- the veil should probably be over God if you want to get technical, but, you know. Remember, I spoke about in the temple, about how the veil separated the Holy of Holies from heaven, from earth, okay? The veil separated them, and the veil was the covenant he made with Moses, the old covenant law, okay? Israel was now operating under the covenant of law, and this is how God related to Israel. Simply put, with Noah and Abraham, there was no law, okay? They had a grant covenant, a one-way promise. So they lived with the law, um, but God related, sorry, God then came to Moses and he related to them based on the covenant of the law. So God's relating to each one based on the covenant they are under. Now, 1,500 years later, they lived under the law until Jesus arrives in the scene. Uh, but we'll get to that. But we can't forget about David. So come and wrap David up with cling wrap. So he was also under a grant covenant. You see, David says to God, let me build you a house. And God's like, well, thanks, David. I, I don't really live in houses. But you know what? David, I'm going to build you a house. And it's a bit of a play on words. It's saying, I'm going to build you a dynasty, okay, or a house. And Jesus comes and fulfills that promise as the son of David. Notice how he's called the son of David? So we have the three grant covenants, um, Noah, Abraham, and David, symbolized by the glad wrapped. Okay? And God is relating to them with a free promise that he gives. But with Moses, he's relating through the law. And when they break commandments, they get cursed and die. And when they follow the commandments, they do well. They get blessed and they live. So God relates to man based on the covenant they are living in. And it's important to understand this when you're reading the Bible. Am I reading in Genesis under the covenant of Noah? Okay, there is no law. Or am I reading under Moses? Oh, yeah, earthquakes, snakes, they broke the law. It's a covenant. It's of blessings and cursing. Now, that's a very, I guess, simplified brief summary of covenants. And uh, previously I've gone into detail on that, so there's some SoundCloud um, teachings on that. Okay. Should I let them stay there for a bit longer? That's right. All right, thanks, guys. All right, do you want to unwrap yourself and... Give him a hand. All right, now let me tell you a story. Uh, next slide, things. Who's here? Who here has heard of Judge Judy? There she is. Now, Judge Judy is righteous. What makes Judge Judy righteous? She follows the law. You see, people come in and they tell her a story. This person owes me money because they didn't pay the rent. And the other person is like, well, they broke my TV, so I wasn't doing this. And, and they get all emotional. But Judge Judy doesn't get swayed by their story. She looks at the law and follows the law and makes a verdict. Because Judge Judy is righteous. She's righteous because she follows the law. In any country across the world, 
any judge is considered righteous because they follow the law. Make sense? And God is righteous because he follows the law. God keeps his promise to each of the covenant partners. He is keeping his word or his promise to Abraham, Noah and David by fulfilling that promise he made to them. And they don't have to do anything. He relates to Israel with the covenant he made with Israel, the law. So when they do well, they get blessed. And when they don't do well, they receive consequences. So God is righteous because he's relating to them through his promise to them. You see, God never changes. And scripture testifies to that. Okay? His nature never changes. But covenants do change. Okay? The lens of God, of how God relates to man, changes. And that's the lens of the covenant. And the lens of how God relates to us is the new covenant. Okay? And we'll look at that soon. Now, I've made it appear, I guess, there's a clean cut between the covenants. And I've done that to be simple, but unfortunately it's not like that, but it's close enough, okay? Until we get to the new covenant. And the transition between the old and the new covenant is not clean cut. And because it's not a clean cut line, I think this is the problem we run into in trying to understand why the new covenant is so much better. Because we don't see a clean cut line in scripture, okay, between the old covenant and the new. But what about that blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Isn't that the covenant transition? Isn't Matthew 1.1 the new covenant and everything in the New Testament is new covenant? Well, unfortunately, no. There's no clean dividing line, okay? Uh, next slide, thanks. Oh, that's not it. Okay. So there's, there's a light that's rising, I think, a 1 John 2 scripture. There's this language in the New Testament uh, that is used right throughout. And in a few places it talks about the light is rising and the darkness is fading. So there's this understanding in the New Testament that the new covenant is rising, but the old covenant is fading away. There is still Old Covenant stuff happening right throughout the New Testament. So it's not easy. It's not easy to find that line. But if we th- and if we think the New Testament is the division line, and all the New Testament is New Covenant, we run into trouble because we're starting to mix the covenants. And we can run into problems. And the trouble then is, we then start to relate back to God with a a mixed covenant understanding, a wrong understanding of God's heart. We think, we relate to God based on how we understand him. Whatever our perception is, whatever our lens of understanding is, is how we relate to God. Our understanding is how we relate back to God. He'll always relate to us with his understanding. So there's no problem from God's side, but our understanding is what I'm talking about. And that can then affect how we present God to other people as well. 
You see, if we think God is still sending earthquakes as judgment on sinners or lightning bolts that destroy my house, that changes the way I perceive God. And that impacts what I tell other people as well. And that's the trouble with mixing covenants. It's that place where we're not really sure what's God's motives. What is his heart for us? Is he really as good as he says? Is that why he sends floods and stuff? Now, let's just leave that thought to a side from now. Back to the New Testament. So the sun is rising, which is the new covenant, and the darkness is fading away. The New Testament is a transition period. For old covenant is fading, new covenant is rising. And we see old covenant stuff throughout the New Testament. Let me give you a few examples. So James and John were on the road with Jesus and they stop in the pub at Samaria, and the people in Samaria are like, oh, we don't want this Jewish business, you know, we don't want to listen to him. So James and John, the good loving disciples they are, come out of the pub and they, and they remember the story of Elijah calling down fire upon the soldiers. And they say to Jesus, shall we call down fire on these guys? You know, just like Elijah did. Now, if you were here last week, remember the story that Kirk told about his little encounter about the man who wasn't really impressed did you want to call down fire but in the end the holy spirit gave kirk really good wisdom okay and jesus says to james and john you don't know what spirit you are of they were trying to operate out of the old covenant spirit and Jesus said to them, don't operate like that. Don't operate in the old covenant spirit. Don't call fire down on them just for rejecting me. The disciples were still thinking of the old covenant mindset. And Jesus was presenting to them and say, don't think like that. There is a better way. I'm not relating to these people through the old covenant understanding. So don't you do it either. They were mixing the covenants and Jesus was showing them a better way. Now, he didn't say that they couldn't do it, and most likely they could have, but that's another debate. But they didn't, okay? And that was good because Jesus met the woman at the well in Samaria, and they went on to have a great revival. You know, Jesus is representing the new covenant heart. And this was all told in Luke 9. And you know what story Jesus tells in Luke 10? The Good Samaritan. And the disciples must have been like, oh, we were calling fire on Samaria. Jesus is talking about the good Samaritan. They were having a possible shame, shame moment. The story of Peter. And a lot of Peter is him wrestling with the idea of the law. Do we follow the old? Do we follow the new? In the book of Acts, he gets shown the vision of the pigs and it says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, that's unclean. No, Peter, don't call unclean what I have called clean. Ah, oh, okay. And then he has to be, still be then shown the vision of the sheep three times before he finally gets up and realizes he has to go to Cornelius' house. And he's like almost shocked when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the Gentiles. And it's like, well, oh, okay. I guess the Holy Spirit really is for them. 
the promise really is for them as well. Peter is wrestling with between his understanding, do we follow the new or do we follow the old? Later, he's then confronted by the Judaizers who want all the Gentiles to be circumcised and follow the law. And Peter, who used to eat and mix with the Gentiles, suddenly gets drawn back into that crowd and separates and eats with them. Okay, And he's convinced, oh, I guess they're right. And Paul then has to come and publicly confront him and say, what has happened to you? What's going on? And Paul doesn't like these guys either. In Galatians, he calls them agitators and troublemakers. And these people were not from outside the church. They were inside the church. They were wanting the Gentiles to be circumcised and return to the law. You see, there's this wrestle going on in trying to understand the new covenant right throughout the New Testament. They were wrestling, do we follow the commands of Jesus or the commands of Moses? What about the Gentiles? How do we deal with them? You know, do they have to follow the law? And I think the same wrestle goes on for a lot of us today. We can easily take a verse out of the New Testament and think, well, it's New Testament, therefore it's New Covenant. Well, can I call fire down? Maybe I should go get circumcised. But when we realise that there's this battle going on in the background, those between those wanting to retain the law and those wanting to get rid of the law, we start to see the context of the New Covenant. You see, the Judaizers are talking about returning to the law fully, whereas on the other hand, Paul has to deal with the other side as well. Sin, grace. Yeah, we can sin all we like, grace. And Paul has to bring the balance back, okay? But when we start to see that in the background this is happening in the New Testament, you'll start to see the heart and the new covenant actually pop to the surface. Now, I told my story a few weeks ago about how I got a new job. But if you haven't heard my story briefly, I got made redundant from my workplace. So the, the job I used to work for had a code, okay? I had to get there between 8.30, work between 8.30, 4.30. I had a certain dress code. It had certain standards. And um, my duties and tasks were written down and I was told what to do. So I was living under their law or their rules. Okay, now when that contract ended, I'm no longer following that law anymore. I don't have to answer any phone calls that, that, that they send my way. I don't have to fix any of their, their IT problems or anything like that. So I don't have to res respond to that law anymore. Now, I have a new job. I have a new dress code. My hours of work are different. My duties are different. I have new um, workplace and I have to follow their rules and regulations. I have a new law. My job changed, the law changed as well. So at the cross, the same sort of thing happened. The law was changed. You see, when Jesus died, we understand all the good things, freedom from sin, no more death, being a new creation. But sometimes we don't realise that the law also changed and it's part of the new covenant. And God now relates to us 
through that new law. And it's a better law. Let's look at uh, slide eight. No, we're too far ahead, guys. Hebrews 7, okay? For when the priesthood, just down the bottom, that top line, for when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed as well. At the cross, Jesus changed the law. Now, to put it simply, because Hebrews can be quite deep, Jesus is now the high priest. Moses is no longer the priest, okay, or descendants of Moses. And he creates a new covenant at the cross in his blood. And along with forgiveness of sin, he also changed the law. So the question is, what's the new law? Now, let's look at Matthew 22. So it should be the next slide. Or No, go back to. That's it. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So what did the teacher just ask Jesus? He asked him, what is the greatest law in the old covenant? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. This is the first and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus has just summarized the old covenant with two laws. And he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 6. Okay, you can see that down the bottom. He's simply answering the teacher's question. What is the greatest law under the old covenant? Now, it's not a bad thing to love your neighbor as yourself. But in the end, he goes on and gives us a better or a superior commandment, which is better than love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, Because love your neighbor as yourself is conditional upon you and your love. How much love do you have? And who is my neighbor? They, had that. they were wrestling with that. They even asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? John, the night before the cross, okay, go to Ford, to John 13, that's it. He says, now I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So when it, when it looks similar to the old covenant law, but the difference is the old covenant is conditional based on your love. The new covenant is based on his unconditional love. Conditional, unconditional. This is the new law of the new covenant, and it's very, very simple. Love others as Christ loves them. It's not based on your law. It's not based on your understanding of your love or how much love you have or who your neighbor is. It's based on his love. And there's a whole bunch of scriptures that I'll just quickly read that point to this. If you love me, you will keep my commands. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. This is what I command you. Love one another. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. I urge you, dear dear lady, not as if I was writing a new command, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commands. And this is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning. You must walk in love. Now, this is his command. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. 
We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Next slide, please. There's a theme developing. Uh, No, that's not it. Sorry, guys, these are all out of order. There should be another page with James 2.8 on it. Uh, That's it. Okay, so it's called the law of Christ in Galatians 6 and 1 Corinthians 9. Okay, you can look that up later. But James sums this up really nicely. He says, if you carry out the royal law, which he's referring to the old covenant, as prescribed in scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're you're doing well. Okay, so if you're following the law, and if you're really following the law, he says, okay, there's a bit of disbelief, I think, in James's tone here. He goes on saying, well, you're doing okay. Okay? But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law yet fails on one little point, one point is guilty of breaking it all. So what he's saying there is if you decide to follow the old covenant, make sure you keep on your toes, as you might be doing good with all of it, but if you just fail in one little bit, you've actually broken the whole law. And then he goes on and gives them another option. And he says, speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. You will know the sun and the sun will set you. There's a better way, he said. The law of Christ is better. And this is the better option for you and for me. Speak and act like the law of Christ or the law of freedom. So Jesus has given us a really, really short list of new covenant commands or law. And in the time of the New Testament, they still had a choice. Okay? They were still wrestling with this very same issue. New covenant, which, which do we follow? And I think this is possibly one of the biggest issues in the New Testament. And now we have the new covenant written on our hearts. It's no longer a long list of rules. It's a list of one rule, and it's the law of Christ. It's a covenant of relationship, not based out of your works or your condition, but based on his love. You see, under the new covenant, you don't follow the law in order to get relationship with God like they did. Or to put it another way, I don't need to follow a list of rules to have relationship with God. I don't have to jump through hoops to have relationship with God. I do stuff because of the relationship I have with Jesus. The relationship changes me. So my thinking changes from old thinking. I do stuff to get relationship. And now I do stuff because of relationship. Now let's look at the point. Um, Hebrews 8.13. Or 12, whatever one it is. It says, okay, so we've got 1 John 2 8, where the light is rising and the darkness is fading. In Hebrews, it says, Jesus declared that the first is old, and what is old is aging and about to disappear. Okay, so next slide, there's a diagram. Okay, hold it there. So on the left, we see the mountain where Moses gets the law. Okay, 
And at the cross, what Hebrews 8.13 is saying, it's lost its power, but it's still there. It's fading. It's old. It's aging. He's declared it old. He's declared the old covenant old. Okay? The cross, you see, at the cross, the veil in the temple, the item that represented the separation of heaven and earth, all man from God, was ripped in two. The cross is the tipping point or where the turning of the tides happens. The light, the new covenant, starts shining. The darkness, the old covenant, starts to fade. And he declares the old covenant old. The book of Hebrews, you see, was written in about 65 to 69 AD. So that's 35 years after the cross. And the writer is saying it's lost its power, but it's still hanging around. But it's about to die real soon. And it will soon disappear. The veil had been torn. But after the cross, the Levites had got together. They'd sewn it back together. They'd hung it back up in the temple. The Levites were still performing the daily sacrifice in the temple. The Jewish world was still revolving around life at the temple. And this is what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 3, that uh, to this day, the veil still remained over their hearts when Moses was read. The old covenant life was still going on. The veil was still over their hearts because they were trying to keep it going. But when did it die? When, when, what does that question mark represent? Next slide, please. See, Jesus had previously prophesied the destruction of the temple. He was taunted at the cross because this is what they remembered him saying. They said, you said you would destroy the temple in three days and rebuild it in three days. But what's the significance of the destruction of the temple? The significance is that the temple was considered heaven and earth. All the Jewish world revolved around the temple system, the place where they worshipped and met God. And when Jesus said that the law will not pass away until heaven and earth passes away, I believe he was connecting the destruction of the temple with the destruction of the old covenant. When heaven and earth, the temple system passed away, only his words, only the new covenant remained. Worship at the temple, the daily sacrifice, the old covenant, the law, came to an end in AD 70, one generation, 40 years after the cross. In 70 AD, Rome sent four legions to Jerusalem to squash the Jewish revolt. And it's recorded that all the Christians fled the city before the gates were closed. Because it was unusual. Because normally when invading armies surround a city, they normally return to within the protective walls of the city, where there's food, storage and protection for many, many years. All the Christians fled. It's recorded to the mountains and made a new settlement at Mount Pele. The four Roman legions then surrounded the city and lay siege to it for three and a half years. During this time, the daily sacrifice continued and eventually came to an end when the temple was finally overcome. The remaining Levite priests who served in the temple were killed and the temple was set alight and all the remaining elements of worship, the elements of the old covenant, 
were destroyed as the temple was consumed in fire. The Jewish old covenant world was destroyed. Heaven and earth was consumed in fire and the temple was pulled down stone by stone as Jesus prophesied. This was done in order to recover all the gold that surrounded each stone. The old covenant has ceased to exist. Christ is our new high priest. He changed the law at the cross. And now the law is, re- is written on our hearts, a relationship in which there is no separation, no veil between us and God. We live under a relationship where we act out of our relationship, out of love, not out of a sense of law or duty. And we can relax in knowing that it's okay if we get it wrong. We have a father whose true nature has been unveiled and relates to us with a covenant and a promise of love. Christ removed the veil and Christ is the end of the law. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, not just from sin and death, but from the law. Now, some of what I've said to you may be new for some, may not. May be shocking for some, may not be. Whatever, whatever I've said, you know, you may think that what I've said is completely wrong. And that's okay. I'm happy to be wrong because I'm on a search for truth. Okay? The most important thing is that the Father has been revealed to us. Okay? And if he's seeking a relationship, he, he is first seeking a relationship with us. And we live out of that relationship. It's no longer a list of rules or hoops to jump through. You see, the story of the prodigal son is like whether you see yourselves as the prodigal son who sins in order to get grace or you're like the older brother who stays in the house and follows the rules. The father embraces both of you and he wants to embrace everyone and he says, come into the house and let's have a meal together. Let's learn to do life together. To me, this is the very nature of God's heart and why I believe the new covenant is better. And it's so much better than we think it is. And when we live in that place, we don't have to mix covenants. We just need to understand true freedom. Could everyone stand, please? Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, that your nature, your true nature has been revealed to us through Christ. And we can relate directly to you, Father. We thank you for all the things of the new covenant, the kingdom, the healings, the miracles, all the good stuff, forgiveness of sin, and that you have reconciled man to God in your eyes. We thank you for you, Holy Spirit, that you would just come and reveal now to each and every one of us how good you really are. That there is no fear, no condemnation anymore. And not just that our heads understand this now, but let it go deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name.
I don't really have a call for ministry because uh, we've done that before. But if, if you feel that you want more of this revelation, I'd be very happy to pray for you. But other than that... Yeah, I just want to affirm what Neil's saying there that um, when he started out with, you know, sometimes your head gets it but your heart doesn't. It's like that gap is being narrowed. And that experience, if that's happening for you today, the head and the heart are actually starting to, like, come together. It's like, gosh, I, I feel like this is making sense. Why don't you just come on out here? Because I think that's the Holy Spirit inviting you into a whole new life in Christ. That we're a people of the head and the heart. Not only do our, does our head get this, but our heart, our heart is coming alive to God as well. I also felt like as Neil was teaching this morning and he just let out that little, he was so excited. I looked at him, he was like a little kid and he goes, like, I'm, in, I'm the Steve Irwin of Covenants, you know, this morning. I, I felt like there was something there when I looked at that. I went, God, he's a guy who's coming alive to the grace that's on his life. It's like he's coming alive to what God's wanting to do with his life and he's partnering with God in that. And I felt like there was an invitation in that as well this morning. That it's like, hey, God's inviting you to come alive to the grace that's on your life, that you can get excited about doing life with God. If that's, if that's for you, you want to become the Steve Irwin of whatever it is, the thing that God's asking you to do, just come, come on up here. We want to bless that this morning. We want to bless that. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Father, for our family that's out the front right now and just their sense of like partnering with your invitation and your love and your Holy Spirit right now, we say thank you. And would you come and just just increase now the, the work of your Spirit that's happening here. More, Holy Spirit. Bring more. In Jesus' name, come, Holy Spirit.